Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hi everyone and welcome to On The House, the Household Management Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Gabriella Yastra, coming to you from NAM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's begin. Hi everyone and welcome to a very special episode of On The House. As we approach Christmas, we thought it'd be fun to share some holiday cheer with our topic today, healthier holiday nutrition. Embrace your favorite time of year. But this episode is also relevant for many other holidays we celebrate throughout the year, from Rosh Hashanah to Lunar New Year. So we're going to be talking to Lani Finau, who is an accredited nutritionist, lecturer, and guest speaker and writer. Hi, thanks for joining us. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking so forward to this. Yes, thank you so much. Um, so can we get to know you a bit uh, more? Can we get to know you in a bit more detail, please, um, for this wonderful episode? Absolutely. So, yeah, I am a nutritionist. I have a really special interest uh, in female health, but quite specifically teenage um, and adolescent health. I think there's a real power there if we can shift our attention to the younger generation, we really set ourselves up for the future ahead and, and can solve for a lot of things that people go through later down the track. So that's the area that I've fallen into. I think it came, um, I, I got into health and wellness at a younger age myself, um, more from the netball, you know, playing a lot of sports standpoint and trying to get better at that. So I think it was a bit of an unlock when I was a young teen um, to be like, oh, wow, like, you know, when you focus on what you eat, things things feel pretty good in your body. So, yeah, that was how I got here and just loving it so far. Oh, that's so good that, you know, you're so fascinated about it from such a young age. Um, I think that, you know, when I was when I was a teenager, I was not into sports. And, you know, it was all about, you know, let's, you know, stay up late and eat chocolate and <laughs> yes. pizza and watch good movies. <laughs> watch good movies, have ice cream and all of those delicious things, but maybe weren't so great for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I think everyone gets to a bit of a, a turning point where they're like, oh, wow, you know, when I start to really care about this stuff, it, it makes quite an impact. But yeah, I think most kids growing up don't really think twice about it. And like, that's okay too. You know, I think we all live in our own little world of bliss when we're younger. Um, but I'm pretty passionate, yeah, about just shining a bit more light on the importance of health and nutrition um, from a young age. Mm, yeah. Um, but I, before we get into this in more detail, I'd love to learn a bit more about you through some of your favorite things. Um, and the first thing I'd like to know is what is your favorite book? Oh, yes. Look, I actually love reading. I think I don't do it as often as I want to at the moment. I let life get in the way. But my favorite book right now is called Outlive by Dr. Peter Adia. I highly recommend that read if, if you're interested in kind of longevity and, and medicine going forward. Um, so, yeah, really loving that book. Great. Thank you. I think I'm going to have to find that book, not for myself, but for my partner who's really into like medical books. Oh, nice. Well, he'll love this. It's it's brilliant. It's really, really good. Definitely recommend. Good. And then he can give me the lowdown what's happening. Yes, yes. The TLDR. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and um, have you um, enjoyed any movies recently? Oh, 
You know what? I'm a creature of habit with my movies. I'll watch the same one 30 plus times. And so I just recently rewatched 10 Things I Hate About You, which, you know, for me, I could watch that every day and honestly not get over it. So it's my favorite. What a classic. Yeah. Um, and do you listen to any podcasts? I do, actually. I, I love a podcast. I love a range of them. Um, I think my my main one at the moment that I'm probably listening to most regularly is the Model Health Show. Um, they just talk about so many different wellness, nutrition topics. I really I really enjoy that one. I actually learn a lot each time. Good. Thank you for the recommendation. Yeah. And um, do you have a role model? I I do. I have multiple and they're not people that are, are known or, you know, famous role models. I don't tend to go down that route, but I think I find a lot of um, of the women in my life, particularly the older women that I look to as more like maternal figures. Um, I, I feel like I draw a bit from each of them and I, you know, whether that's somebody I'll meet through work or, you know, family and friends and things like that. Um, I love having these people around me and I really do lean on them for different parts of my life and, and learn from them in different ways. So that's something I'm definitely grateful for to have quite a few um, close-knit ro- role models in my world. Oh, that's so great. And it's also great that, you know, you do have, you know, that support network around you of people who you can look up to because I think that's so important. So important and something that I yet yeah, don't take uh, for granted at all. Really, really grateful. Yeah, thank you. And um, have you completed any courses that have inspired you? My nutrition course, I of course did. So that was my bachelor bachelor of health science, uh, and loved every second of that. I was obsessed with studying, um, and actually would go back and do the degree all over again if I if I could. So you know, I actually beyond that, I've always done short courses um, outside of that, honestly, just to keep the. Uh, the knowledge coming in because I just loved learning um, and my college that I went to Endeavor College of Natural Health they have short courses as well so I've done a few of those beyond the actual course just to feel like I was studying again because I think outside of the assignments I actually loved it. Yeah I think the thing I, I also love lo- learning but I think that it's the assignments that really get you down at uni yeah. so if you can yes. have the learning without the 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 essays perfect exactly exactly that's why I really I recommend short courses and if you're looking for any that the Endeavor short courses are so good I um yeah good self-paced no assignments you know just what you want (laughs) oh great I'm gonna have a look at that so I like to start each episode you know with some definitions so we know what we know what you know uh we've got a foundation about what we're going to be talking about so the first thing I'd like to know is how do you define household management Yeah, look, I feel like household management as a term will probably look quite different for each person. But overall, to me, it's just the way that you live and I think coexist with the people in your home and then how you guys all cohesively really work together to make it just flow. You know, home management, it's it's a give and take and it's an up and down and it's a flow um, between the people that you live with or if you live by yourself, honestly, just getting to know your own flow and your own how you manage this. So yeah, I'd probably define it as that actually. Yeah. Great. Thank you. It's very um, people focused. It Um, is. Yeah. Yeah. And what about for nutrition? Like it seems like a very, I think, you know, we all have an idea of what nutrition is, but you know, I think sometimes we can be a bit misguided. So can you define nutrition for us? Yeah. Look, so nutrition really is 
the foundations of the food we eat, the supplements we take, and I guess then the nutrient and mineral profile that these give us to basically build a healthy body and a healthy being and a healthy mind. Um, So this can, again, look really different for each person. I think what's interesting about nutrition is there's an old school approach of like one size must fit all, whereas really every human body is different. So the approach to nutrition actually should be tailored and personalized to meet them where they're at and what they need. Um, and, it, you know, even on a cultural basis can be so different, um, but there definitely are core foundations of nutrition that I think can make everyone feel really good and function really well. Um, but yeah, ultimately that's that's what it is. I, I'm curious about like, so you're saying that each person has a different, you know, different requirements for nutrition. Yeah. But how do you know, you know, yeah. what your requirements are? It seems like, you know, it, it seems very easy, I guess, to follow a plan, but much more difficult to like say, I need this much of this and I need this much of that. Yeah, definitely. Look, that is honestly, that would be the birthplace of where my practice came from. Um, being a nutritionist or a dietitian or even a naturopath, like this is where we have to come in and help these people figure out like what is the why and what is specific for you, what do you need? But I think we use a multiple um, range of tools to help us determine this for each person. I think, of course, things like your age, um, your sex, where you're at in your lifespan um, and what you've got going on in your day-to-day in your life are all things that will impact your needs and requirements. Um, And then beyond that, you know, we heavily lean on things like testing through blood work and other functional testing to get a more comprehensive picture of exactly like where a person is at and where they need to get to feel better in whatever it is that the problem um, is that they're facing. But I, I think that's another really good point in that, you know, people are probably quite aware of their nutritional requirements at certain points in their life. But I think we forget to allow for the fact that that changes over time as well so you know you can get really set in what your needs were when you were pregnant or even you know in your mid-30s or something like that but forget that 10 years down the track you really need to readjust and rethink what am I doing what am I prioritizing how much of these nutrients am I having and so on so yeah that's a bit how we kind of get to know what the unique blueprint is for each person that's so interesting it's also very complex like it's yes. not just like you're, you know, 30 years old, you're a woman, yeah. you have to do this. It's it's much more than that. Yeah, totally. I think that's another good point. Like you could have two people that on paper match all those things, you know, 30 years old, female, does this occupation, has this many children, whatever it is, but still even those two individual individuals that are somewhat similar will have such different needs and requirements. Um And it's something that I'm super blessed to be able to work with people to do. And the moment you unlock what those requirements are, people really start to feel a difference. And it's, it's a powerful thing to be a part of. Mm. Um, But unfortunately, you know, this is a podcast. We can't delve into every single person who's going to listen. (laughs) We do have to do a bit of a, I guess, broad strokes, um, general, what's good for most people. Um, And you did touch on this a little bit earlier, but, you know, what Mm -hmm. is the relationship between nutrition and health? Like how does nutrition affect health? Yeah, I think it's the building block, you know, Mm -hmm. what you put in your mouth every single day and beyond that, what you consume around you, how you breathe, how you exercise, all those things. But, you know, fundamentally what you eat as well. Um, 
they build who you are as the person. You know, the protein you eat goes on to build certain cells and immune cells and all these things, DNAs in your body. So it's quite literally what you're made up of, like how we live and breathe comes from the food we eat. So yeah, that that's the impact. And then I think when you have deficiencies in some nutrients, that's where, you know, illnesses and issues can arise and then vice versa, you know, you can even those out when you um, when you care for, for the nutrient requirements. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be talking about holidays and, you know, we often, a lot of holidays um, centre around food and eating and often eating a little bit too much. So I, I guess my first question related to that is, you're saying that, you know, you know, you need a balance for building blocks and everything. Is one day going to throw you out? You know, if you say every day I eat all these really good things and then on one day of the year or a few days of the year, maybe I don't eat vegetables and I eat a bit too much cake. Is that going to be a huge problem? Absolutely not. I think that's what I, I'm a festive season lover, which is why I'm so grateful to be on this, this episode specifically. But no, you know what you do 10, 20% of the time, not even just one day, but upwards of, of that much of a percentage absolutely will not impact what you do that 70, 80, 90% of the time. And that's the balance that is absolutely okay. Um, and something that I think, you know, people deserve to enjoy and relax and enjoy the cake and enjoy the festive socials, um, social season around it. And, Um, the joy that, you know, food specifically brings and connection and how one day of of this type of thing is actually really healthy in terms of your overall well-being. It's so lovely that we had this time of year where we just connect and enjoy and relax and celebrate and eat different foods than we normally would, you know? Mm. But I know know for a lot of people, um, my family specifically, you know, Christmas isn't just a day for us. It's it's a month, a it's month on. maybe a bit longer, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so maybe, you know, what, what would be okay is maybe um, a few days of bad eating can maybe turn into a month. So um, particularly, you know, you're visiting family and, you know, with multiple families, you've got to visit on different days. Um, or if you're like me, we have church and different church services. And so how do you, I guess, balance between having, you know, um, obviously indulging on some days, but then also not indulging, but still attending these festivities. Yeah. I think this is where I'm excited that we're going to dive more into this in today's episode around, there are actually so many practices that you can kind of build into your day to day always, but specifically through the festive season that really teach you how to have that give and take of enjoyment, but then also not fully just forgetting about all the things that make you feel good. And and there's such niche little practices you can put into your day and your activities that you're being a part of when socializing that will help you just manage it a little bit better, I think. And, you know, it, there'll be some days that you're better at doing these things than others, but at least if you have them there, you can start to lean on them. And I think it has this more approach of like, you don't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be, oh, it's a festive season. I'm a thousand percent not worrying about anything. It's like, well, it's actually just a different way of approaching it and having these uh, ways that you can lean on in the way you eat and how you socialize that will really help you for the long term. They become more behaviors really. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, where do you start? You know, uh, it's the first day of the, the festive month and you're still yes. trying to be good because you know that you've got a 
a long run coming up. Um, yeah. What are we doing? Are we avoiding the cakes? Are we just leaning on the salads? So I, <laughs> I think this is where I highly encourage everybody to just look at what you traditionally do. Like what's your normal week? You know, do you go to the gym three times a week and do you typically have this food for lunch and so on and so forth? And basically I like to model or I guess incorporate the festive season around that. So if you, you know, are very consistent with your walking each day for 10 minutes or going to the gym three times a week and you've got the festive season coming up and and things that are going to throw that out of whack because you might have, you know, an event on, on a particular day that you'd normally go to the gym, this is where I encourage people to actually look at their usual schedule and figure out how they can shift it around to still fit into the current um, time and season. So, you know, using that gym example again as, as a, a kind of baseline, if you had an event on a particular day and that meant your gym couldn't happen that day, what's a backup plan? You know, can you go on another day or can you swap it out for just a walk that morning instead? And I think, you know, when you find ways to incorporate what you usually do, you'll really feel better for it. So that would be my first kind of uh, little tip, if, if that if that mm. helps. Um, but I know that can look quite different from person to person. Mm-hmm. I do remember last year for Christmas, um, I suddenly looked at my life and I was like, "I'm going for I'm going for a run on Christmas morning. What? Who have I become?" Because <laughs> <laughs> growing up, I was always very much against exercise. Um, yep. And I always looked at the people who go for runs on Christmas, like, what are you doing? It's Christmas. What are you doing? Yes, but yes, yes. I, you know, more recently, I, I like going for runs in the evening, but it was going to be number one, Christmas dinner. Number two was going to be yep. like 40 degrees. Yeah. And you're like, no, that's not going <laughs> to no, work. That's not going <laughs> to work. So I ended up going for a run on Christmas morning. And yes, yeah, that's good. great. I love that. And don't you, it's funny how it was more the, the mental blocker of, oh, it's Christmas day, I can't. But it's mm-hmm. like, absolutely you can why not you know there's plenty of time in the morning typically like if you got up a bit earlier um so I think stuff like that is wonderful to do and I think you know as a second tier on top of that if everyone just focuses on their sleep where they can they'll also notice quite a remarkable difference because that's the kind of second thing that can easily throw out been thrown out the window outside of your routine it's like okay I'll just compromise my sleep then because I can't fit this all in so yeah really hammering down on that can be powerful too so making sure that you know you get your a normal amount of sleep yeah normal amount of sleep and then look I am a really big advocate for napping as needed I think naps can be very beneficial particularly um, there's evidence to show that 20 minute naps are quite a good little time period to make you feel rested again um, but keep going. So I think, you know, if you've had a massive couple of days and you know you're going to be out late again and you have the kind of time and space and capacity to somehow fit some type of little nap in, again, it's something to lean on. And I think it's something that we forget, particularly as adults, is available to us. But it's like actually more about opening up little pockets of rest in your day to help with this. And even if it wasn't a 20 minute nap, if you can allocate five minutes to just sit down and be present with yourself or even do a five minute meditation, again, that is super restful and restorative for yourself if you know you're not going to get your full eight hours or whatever your usual sleep is. Okay. I'm going to stop making fun of my dad for having a nap on Christmas afternoon. (laughs) 
oh, I'm all for an after Christmas, a Christmas afternoon nap after all the food we've eaten as well. It's kind of necessary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, and what about you know with diet um, and yeah. with what we're eating? So, I mean. I, 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 it's probably not the correct answer, but if you've eaten too much cake, is it, should you just skip your next meal or, you know, how can we kind of balance it out? Yeah, I think diet wise, what I'm really big on in maintaining in the festive season is still your regular eating pattern, because that will help with these kind of overeating tendencies. So for example, what I see quite often is people will, you know, know they've got some big event of function that evening or that day. Uh, and there'll be a lot of food involved. So they might skip breakfast and not have their usual snacks because like, oh, I'm just saving myself for later. Whereas that can be quite counterintuitive um, and actually force you to then overeat at the time point because you're so starving by the time you get there and there's such abundance of good food and everybody's eating that you'll go so much more overeating than you normally would. Whereas if you quite hold yourself accountable to maintaining a regular eating pattern, you know, your usual balanced meals, breakfast, lunch, and then if you're out for dinner, that's okay, but you still had your good breakfast and your lunch and one to two snacks, that will really make a difference because A, you're not going to be going to that function ravenous and then B, it just helps again with also your energy stability across the day, which we know like when you're tired, you crave more sweet foods or even just more food in general. So if you do the combination of being tired and then going to an event that's solely around food, you can see how we just will fall down that rabbit hole of overeating. So yeah, regular eating patterns, don't skip your breakfast if you wouldn't normally skip your breakfast, but you've got an event, still have it because you'll just just eat less at the event later, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and what about if you, you know, you go to this event and there's like so much beautiful food on the table, you want to try everything and you end up with a plate which has too much food on it. Um, I guess, how do you stop yourself, I guess, from taking too much food or how do you stop yourself from maybe going back for seconds or, you know, eating everything and just feeling a bit, you know, uncomfortable later? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a few really helpful things you can do here. In regards to the food itself, you know, it can be really easy to overeat certain types of foods. So this is where I think really focusing on if anybody is familiar with the plate model, you know, it's it's basically just half the plate is your non-starchy veggies, a quarter is your carbs, and then a quarter is your protein. Now, that's the kind of baseline for how we get people to eat a well-rounded diet, right? You can still use that visual tool when you are out and about at a festival, um, at any type of festivities where you've got food available. And what it helps you do is ensure that all the food you're having, you're still getting that balance right. And getting the balance right will also help you with not eating because in particular, protein helps keep you fuller for longer. But you think of a lot of the delicious festive foods we have, you know, often a lot of them can be very like carbohydrate based. So it's easy to just fill your plate up with all these things that are not going to keep you fuller for longer so then you can eat more of them in that moment if that makes sense mm -hmm. um so really getting that balance of your macros can actually help you with not overeating over the period of time so that's helpful then it also allows you to just get it a well well-rounded plate but second to that I think 
this is where being conscious of kind of more mindful eating can come in. And it's very easier said than done, um, particularly in the festive season. But this can look like, you know, first of all, getting a smaller plate than the biggest plate available. Then beyond that, using the smaller utensils, because if you use smaller utensils, you take less bites. And it it's all about prolonging the time that it takes you to finish that specific plate, as opposed to just getting it down because by the time you finish it you're not actually registered full yet you know you'll still go back for seconds or thirds and it's not until 30 40 minutes later where you're like oh man okay I really overdid it there so yeah smaller plates smaller utensils more chewing you know hold yourself accountable to chew each food I like to say go for 20 to 30 chews and it's actually a lot but if you're thinking about it and you're like, okay, just chew it, just really chew it. And having the smaller utensils help, again, will help slow down um, that period of eating. So yeah, there are just a few things to start with. And that sounds like that's going to also help with, you know, cutting down on snacking because I find, you know, Christmas time, you know, it's not just the meals. It's also like, you know, there's the Christmas cake, the mince pies, which are around that are just sort of out there for, for the picking. And then you end up eating maybe a a few too many mince pies. Yeah, totally, totally. Applying those more mindful eating practices to snacks is awesome as well because that you're you're so right and that's another area that can really get you in that it's not always that you're going and just getting yourself a plate of food. It's the fact that there's little nibbles constantly around all the time. So using that same principle of, you know, slower, more mindful eating is really important and will help you in those circumstances. Great. And, you know, if you're catering a Christmas meal or a holiday meal, are there any like tips you can, would you, well, number one, would you recommend maybe replacing a few things with something that's a bit more um, healthy for us? Or would you say it's fine, just go ahead with your um, full butter gravy and your uh, yeah, turducken, Christmas turducken, yeah. Yeah, mashed yeah. potatoes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the good stuff. Yeah. Look, I'm I, I'm a bit of an advocate for both, you know. I think if you're if you are able to make swaptions, as I like to call them, for certain things, then I'm all for it. Especially if you um are catering something yourself and you know that you could select one thing over another. You know, if you're bringing a certain type of chicken, bring a grilled type of chicken as opposed to a crumbed type of chicken. Um, then go for it. But I also think, again, coming back to our principle of it's okay to have these things in moderation can be all right too. But I do definitely think as a whole, if you're the person catering or even if you're taking a dish somewhere you go, I think um, coordinating with those around you that you're bringing dishes with to ensure somebody's ticking off the salad component and then the veggie component and somebody's bringing a bit of a fruit platter and somebody's got the, the protein, whatever meat they're bringing or, or vegetor- vegetarian source of protein. You know, I think that can help because if what's available ticks all the boxes, then people are more likely to be like, okay, awesome. I can have a little bit of each and they will still be getting their veggie and their salad and their meat and then some type of carb. And then it's okay if individual aspects of those foods are the 100% healthiest option available. That makes a lot of sense, especially the the coordinating with people at a potluck because I've been to, to picnics where it's chips, sweets, fizzy drinks, uh, cake, um, yep. And it's just that no one's thought to bring any kind of savory meal. Yes, 
Exactly. It's and it was like, gosh, if we just, you know, send each other a message, we could have avoided this. So yeah, I'm I'm actually very big on like if you've got a group chat with your friends or family group or, you know, whatever the event is that's being held, to just kind of do a bit of a check off of who's got what. And if you've got double ups, then you can, you know, go different ways and bring something else. And that way you can get a more well rounded um menu of options. And I think that's the key to to kind of getting the most out of that festive period is really having all of the options available so people aren't only able to have, you know, sweets and, and carbs and something like that. <laughs> and I also, I loved your word swaptions, um, yes. which I think is just a very funny word, but, um, you know, do you have any recommendations of swaptions we can, you know, do that won't sort of affect maybe how we're feeling about the meal? Yeah. Look, I think one of the easiest for carbohydrates in general is that classic, you know, swap your more refined carbs for the whole grain carbs. So, you know, if somebody's bringing some type of risotto or anything that's got a kind of white rice in it, it's such an easy swap to go for a brown rice or even a quinoa. Um, or if you're making any type of, you know, platter that's got different, you know, loaves of bread sliced up on it, or somebody's making some homemade garlic bread or whatever it is. Again, instead of just going for that white bread option, go for the wholemeal sourdough that's just such a more rich source of fiber and um, just over- well-rounded kind of nutrient profile. And then meats-wise, you know, again, going back to that um, crumbed versus grilled, that's always a nice, easy swap. And I think in particular for people that are wanting to crumb things, the crumbs themselves can be swapped. You know, it doesn't have to just be breadcrumbs. You can crumb things with like almond meal and stuff like that these days. Um, And then beyond that, I think when you are looking at the meals themselves, always ensuring that element of veggies or salads is there is important. So I think, you know, some people will make different salads in the festive season that might be like, heavily um carbohydrate based it might have a lot of like sweet potato and pumpkin and stuff which is great but it's like okay wait i need to balance this out with you know some leafy greens or um something like that so yeah there's just a few kind of general swaptions but i I, yeah i love that word it's good (laughs) i'm gonna be using that in the future do it do it (laughs) and um do you have any suggestions for like you know maybe some snacks that we can provide to help people keep full um you know, during that holiday period? Yeah, definitely. So I, uh, two things about snacks that I'm really big on. The first one is just for your traditional snacks, always having an element of protein in these. Again, it's such a basic one around, um, you know, protein, protein, protein. I think it's quite a word of the moment, but honestly, if you just ensure each snack has some element of protein in it, people are going to feel fuller for longer. Um, which is the benefit. So, you know, an example might be if you're having a bit of a cheese board or cheese platter, you know, why not add some cottage cheese as an element of that as opposed to just, you know, some sliced cheese because cottage cheese itself is higher in protein and it's actually quite delicious. You can even flavor it and stuff like that. So I think wherever you can bump that protein profile up is a really good one or opt for snacks that are naturally higher higher or more rich in protein which you know some people like things like deviled eggs and stuff like that again higher in protein um so yeah that's just one thing but the second is that I actually think and maybe this falls more into the entree category as opposed to snacks 
But having veggie starters is really important because if you have vegetables first, you actually are better able to manage your blood sugar spikes essentially after. So it all comes down to the um, the way in which the order in which you eat your food. So if you start with veggies and then have your protein and fats and then at the end your carbs, like your starchy carbs, you actually are better able to manage your blood sugar spikes, which is really interesting. Um, so I personally, like if I'm catering uh, or, you know, having people over, I'll always try and start with like a nice salad that might just be, you know, leafy greens and a nice vinaigrette dressing. And it's yum, you know, people enjoy it. But it's, I know, a, re- a really good option for them because it's that non-starchy veggie rich in fiber that's actually going to do them better. And then we can have the rest of the courses after them. I also, I mean, that's that's great. I had no idea that that would help to, you know, monitor your um, glucose levels. Um, so that's that's amazing. But I also think, um, just from my perspective, um, when I'm, you know, when I first start a meal, I'm always really hungry, and I'm always like, maybe I overeat a little bit too much um, of the first thing, or I'm really excited about the first thing. And as I get a bit fuller, I tend to, um, I tend to maybe put things aside that I wasn't so interested in. Um, and only eat the things that I'm like really keen on eating. So that would usually be the salad. Yes, yes, yes. Well, this is an easy swap. You know, you just make yourself just get the salad first and then, you know, you, you set up for good then. Yeah. And then I'm like, I've eaten all my greens. I don't need to worry about that for the rest exactly. of the meal. Yeah. Exactly. We love that. So it sounds like, um, you know, planning what we're going to be eating, you know, making sure that we are including um making sure that we're including healthy options within the whole feast is really important. So it sounds like meal planning is very important. Is that correct? Yeah, totally. You know, meal planning is important across the board and I know it works kind of differently from person to person. They have different experiences with it, but definitely as the festive season time, you know, because it comes a bit back to us talking before about being able to maintain that regular eating pattern and you know if you can plan for the week ahead and take into account the days and times that you will be out uh, at something different a different function than your usual you can actually plan the rest of your meals around that which is really helpful Mm -hmm. um and i know that you know as someone i have catered christmas before i know that i'm already meal planning yes I might as well include some, I may as well include the rest of the week and maybe I'll get to use some of my leftovers as well. Exactly, exactly. I think that's such an important point around, you know, there's quite the abundance of food in the festive season that there is always a lot of leftovers. So making sure you account for that to not only avoid the waste, but just get the most mileage out of that food. And you can really get kind of strategic with how much you cook of something even if you were taking it somewhere to go somewhere else, you know, you're already cooking it. So why not double it if it's a good option so that you've got some stuff left over at home for the week ahead. But yeah, I definitely think the looking at your week, particularly if you've got a family, like that can be really helpful around the festive season because you've actually got different people away at different points. You know, somebody might have some functional one day, somebody not the other. So it helps you kind of account for who's going to be there on those days, who's not, how much you need to cook, Uh, and how you can ensure those meals are as balanced and well-rounded as possible to really keep you feeling fuller for longer at different periods uh, along the day. And also avoiding um, the, you know, the 3 p.m. We've got Christmas dinner tonight, but I'm not going to eat anything in the fridge because it's all for dinner. 
Yes, exactly. Exactly that. That is such a common thing, particularly because there's no space almost sometimes to keep mm. other things. Or like, oh, that's just nothing there. But yeah, you could have something spare in the freezer or good snacks available or anything like that. Yeah, great. And um, my family, you know, we like to, you know, maybe eat a little bit too much on Christmas Day and then go for a walk to make room for dessert afterwards. Um, is that a good idea? Would you recommend, you know, in maybe upping our, our physical activity? Yeah, I particularly walking. I am a really big fan of incorporating that, incorporating that day-to-day in particular along the festive season because walking is such a such an underrated form of exercise honestly I think we all think you know if I'm not absolutely sweating and burning then you know I can't be making any difference but just walking is so beneficial actually as well after eating for blood sugar sugar regulation again uh just going for a 10 minute walk after your meal is so good and it doesn't have to be fast paced it's just the action of you know getting out and moving and I think again it's a beautiful thing to do with your family and your guests you know I appreciate that maybe by dinner time you might be like a little bit too for it full for it at times maybe it needs to come after a nap as well like that's all okay but you know at some point in each day if the if nothing else you go for a little walk it actually has a really really powerful benefit and I a little bit of a side topic, but an area I'm really interested at the moment is zone two training and cardio. And that honestly is just, you know, essentially a brisk walk. It's nothing crazy. um, And it's got so many, you know, important health benefits. But I think that is actually a really feasible form of exercise that people can incorporate into the festive season, whether you hold yourself accountable to, you know, one 20, 20 minute walk three times a week, or a 10-minute walk after dinner with the family, whatever it is, uh, really, really important to, to keep moving and keep your your body just up and going around, not just stagnant and sitting and eating the whole time. I know that that's what I'm usually doing um, around the festival season, uh, just um, opening presents, playing with the presents, yes. you know, and then lying down and maybe having a nap, watching some TV and not getting out as much. Yes. No, yeah. If you can just get a little bit of movement in, I think you'll feel the world a difference. So yeah, I, it's a good one. Thank you. Um, and we're going to move on to the practice and habit section. And that's where we learn a little bit more about, you know, maybe something that you've learned and applied into your own life. Um, so I'd love to know, uh, what is a practice you do to manage your meals during the holidays? Yeah, breakfast. That is a big one because I quite traditionally have been a notorious non-breakfast eater. I think just being busy day to day, you know, that was the first thing that I always let slip, particularly back in the day when I was studying and, you know, the days are so chaotic that I was like, don't have time for breakfast, I'll just have something later. But, you know, skipping breakfast just has this kind of cascade of events afterwards, unless you're somebody that's intermittent fasting, you know, that's a bit different. Um, but if you're just blatantly skipping your brekkie and you normally would want to or be happy to have it, it just makes you feel, you know, less energized throughout the day. You have more cravings typically. Um, and in particular, focusing on a protein-rich breakfast, again, helping out about that protein, but I really am so, um, so, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I really find it so important that people uh, implement a high protein breakfast because if you actually look more traditionally at what breakfast has been painted at in the more modern times, 
it's things like cereal or a piece of toast with jam and all these carbohydrate-rich meals that really are not feeling us as best as they could be if they had an element of protein to them. So yeah, I hold myself very accountable in the festive season to have that brekkie because that that protein-rich breakfast, I should say, because if I do that, I set myself up for the day ahead, you know, and I find I'm actually, you know, if I have my breakfast, I'm more likely then to stay um, in a good habit with my one to two snacks that I'd probably normally have and then also my lunch so that by the time I get to pretend, you know, it's my dinner event that I'm going to, I'm not ravenous, you know. I'm actually, I've had a totally normal day of eating and now I'm just able to come here and enjoy this specific meal that's a little out of the normal um, but in a more controlled way, I guess you could say. I definitely find that when my mornings are a bit more chaotic and I'm not doing my normal uh, routines, it tends to yep. throw my, the rest of my day out and I tend to maybe totally. eat really weird stuff. Yeah, totally, totally. Honestly, the the research doesn't even lie that when it says, you know, if we don't start our day with a good protein-rich brekkie, you're going to have more cravings later in the day. And cravings what lead to, you know, you eating these things that you wouldn't normally eat or weirder things or sweeter things. So, yeah, it's a nice unlock, really. A problem I do have when I'm trying to, like, eat my eat a bit more of a healthy breakfast. So I'm I'm a bit I like my uh, cereal and um, cereal and yoga for breakfast or toast for breakfast. Um, I like sweet breakfasts and I find it kind of hard to find those protein rich breakfasts in the morning. Do you have any recommendations as to what, you know, what we can eat as a protein rich breakfast? Totally, totally. Protein rich sweet breakfasts are challenging. I totally agree. Uh, there's a couple that I've found to be a nice unlock for people when they're wanting this one being smoothies I know it's kind of boring one but protein smoothies are so easy to make and also you can use them like for people that like cereal I find smoothie bowls a really easy swaption for them because you know they can add their muesli or their oats or whatever they want to it and make it more of a bowl that's more similar to a cereal then So that's the first one, but so easy to add in, not just protein, but you can add in baby spinach and different forms of veggies to these and you don't even taste it because it's hidden by the the fruit or the protein powder or whatever it is. Um, My second one is, look, I've always been a pancake kid. I love a pancake. You know, I was that kid that was like, dad, please go and get me the... um, Uh, what are they the hot cakes from mcdonald's like little five-year-old me just absolutely loved it so that love for pancakes has remained and and so it should um but i've luckily found a few better options now uh but the first one is look this is actually a recipe of mine that i there's not a single person really that i've ever come across that hasn't liked it um and that i just don't like anyone that i wouldn't recommend it for i just think it's great Basically, it's what I call an oats pancake. It's a bit of a a Lani special. One egg, half a cup of oats. That's it. That's the base. You don't even need to blend the oats. They just, it's just like a really thick pancake. But you look at that, that's a great form of, you know, whole grain carbs. And it's a protein because it's got the um the egg in it. And then you can top it with a whole range of good stuff. So I love topping it with nut butters that are just a hundred percent nuts, you know, no need to have the added oils and things and sugars. Um, and again, that adds a good source of fat, a good source of protein. You can have some fruit on top. So, you know, sliced banana or melted berries. Berries are so good because they're so sweet, but they're such a low GI fruit. 
Um, and then you can sprinkle it with some seeds and things, you know. Uh, you might have chia seeds or any flax seeds or anything else. You want to have hemp seeds. But again, that is a breakfast that's sweet. It's delicious, but it has honestly everything you could want in it um, in a brekkie. So that's one of my go-tos. But if you are someone that doesn't love oats or something like that, there are also a lot of protein pancake recipes that are basically, you know, egg, a little bit of milk and a protein powder, and you can top them again with fruits and stuff like that. Um, so that's a good one. And then my third, I would say is, uh, either a a sweet toast. So, you know, you can have high protein toast these days. They got like 10 grams per slice, um, and top it with again, nut butter and fruit or something like that, or an overnight oats, you know, you can't go wrong with overnight oats. You have them with a high protein yogurt and oatmeal inside it, all the fruit you want. And again, it's a sweet, delicious brekkie that's ready to go. Um, which is probably really uh, of high value to people in the festive season when they're so busy and they don't really have time to prep breakfast. It's one that's already there. Mm, yeah, you just put it in the fridge and it's there in the morning. I mean, pancakes sound delicious, but you do have to turn your stove on. Yes, you do, which that in <laughs> itself is a little bit of a, a barrier, we can say. I'd say probably save the pancakes for your weekend festivities, you know? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Um, and we also have some questions from the audience today. Yeah, cool. So our first question is, and this is from Dina on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. How do you tell your family that you don't eat something without hurting their feelings? Oh, this is, I really love this question because you know what? When I was a younger teen, I actually followed a predominantly plant-based diet for a few different reasons. And I remember very, very vis- vividly the first Christmas I had where I was now vegan plant-based. And so, you know, most of the meals there, my family that had prepared, I couldn't have. And I didn't really go out of my way to actively tell everyone because I didn't want to make um, make it a thing. You know, I was just like, oh, I'll just find stuff in between. But I think that was probably the the area I went wrong. I think in advance, just tell them, you know, they're your family and they're your friends and they are, they're going to be okay with it regardless. And all that does is allow them to alter certain things um, to accommodate for you. So if you don't eat a certain thing, you know, then they're able to make a different option or just at least ensure, um, there's, oh, look at that, my little thumbs up thing there. That was funny. <laughs> um, or at the very least, you know, it'll help them ensure that there are other options available for them. Um, that even opens the conversation up so that the person who doesn't eat something can bring something for themselves you know so I did that a lot uh, as an example you know all the meat dishes that were there I said don't worry I'll bring some tofu you know that I'll prepare and I made a tofu dish so I could contribute a vegetarian source of protein and then I could have all the other stuff alongside that nobody had to go out of their way to do that for themselves so yeah that would be my advice just tell them in advance so you can prepare and and collaborate on it Mm. Yeah, I think so often uh, quite a few dishes um, can be, you know, made vegan without much difficulty, really. It's just making sure you don't put butter or you don't put butter, you put a butter alternative. Yeah, Um, totally. Yeah. Uh, And uh, other things are a bit harder. Maybe those are the things you bring along and, and assist with as well. Yes. So yeah, other things that I find are harder to swap out. That is where I think the ownership on you, the person that can't have it, it's easier for you to bring something for yourself and you probably feel more comfortable doing that as well. Um, So it's really a really great option. But yeah, speaking about, you know, vegan options, 
specifically right now there are just so many options available which is so helpful so yeah it's it's nice to see that we've progressed in that sense definitely and our second question today is what advice do you have for hosts to accommodate diverse nutritional needs without compromising the joy of holiday meals yeah look again that same thing of if you are all um communicating on who's coming and who's bringing what or what you're going to be serving if you are the sole host that allows like I like to personally say in advance to my guests okay I'm going to be prepping this for the entree this for the lunch and this for dessert and I'll send it out to them and that way if there's anything on there that they don't have I can accommodate for that or if I don't think I'm going to be able to I can say oh you know I'm so sorry I won't have option for that because we're we're making this so if you want to bring xyz go for it so i think yeah really being clear with your guests what you're going to have available so that you can accommodate for more people um, and also take into account different requirements can be really helpful but i also think yeah knowing when to draw that line of you know if it's coming down to you then having to make 10 different options of something that's where it's like that's getting not so feasible for you anymore and it's totally okay for you to say to your guests you know, can you just bring something that's going to um, make up for that because I won't have it. It reminds me of um, in my uh, in-laws family, they have a lot of different, uh, you know, um, food allergies, you know, eggs, nuts, all those things. So they've got one normal cake and then they've got one special cake, which yes. doesn't have nuts, dairy, <laughs> eggs. <laughs> the special cake. I love that. I love yeah. that. To see uh, that hit that hit the nail on the head because that one cake accommodates for a lot of different requirements, you know. So that's good. I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I think probably they have the same cake every year because they know that they can eat it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, thank you so much. Um, now we're going to move on to the open mic. Um, this is where you get a chance to talk about something that you're passionate about. Um, and what did you want to discuss today? Yeah, so look, I coming from, you know, a real interest in teenage and female health, it's something that I'm so passionate about and kind of getting the message across that that teens themselves can start, you know, young in, in taking care of their health and well-being. So um, I love just talking about this topic in general. And it's a very broad topic, especially when it's just, you know, oh, I'm just going to talk a bit about teen and female health um, as, as a whole. But I think the the part that I'd love to start on is that, you know, when you're a teenager and you're an adolescent, because we don't really have that education around um, what do I need to eat to feel good, kids tend to just, you know, have things that they think they should have because it's out of habit, you know? So I think if we're kind of going back to what we spoke about in this podcast, a common breakfast that kids have is just cereals and toast because that's not only what they would have just got brought up with, but it's also what marketing and TV and advertising tells them. You know, they watch an ad, it says that all the healthy kids eat this type of cereal. And so it's all these little things that are quite ingrained into the upbringing of a, a teenage and adolescent and a kid um, that can have this kind of follow-on effect. So yeah, I just love to go around to schools and things and really get to the basics, I think, of nutrition and and even exercise as a whole, you know, and we've spoken actually a lot about them, you know, regular eating pattern, don't skip breakfast, ensure you've got enough protein, have a variety of vegetables and really feel the benefits. Um, but yeah, just something that I, I'm super passionate about and interested in. 
Yeah, thank you. I, I guess the question I have is, um, you know, when you're a teenager, you don't actually have as much, I guess, you know, you're not buying the food yourself. You're not often cooking the food for yourself. It's not just up to you. I found even as, you know, a young adult still living with my parents, I was wanting to eat one type of food and they're like, no, I don't want to eat that for dinner. I'm not making that. So how do you, how do you as a teenager actually talk to your parents and discuss what you want to do with your health and with what you want to eat? Yeah, definitely. This is such a big one because yeah, kids don't have that ability there. They're just a product of what's around them. So this is where I think the step one being enough education so that the kid knows to ask about it and to bring this topic up is step one. And then step two is like, how do you actually do that? So I personally just think the conversation part is, of course, pivotal, you know, sit down with your parents and say, listen, I really think I would like to eat more of this type of food, you know, whether that be vegetables or something that they're probably not really going to sit down and say, but let's say in the ideal world they do. Um, But I think that conversation is super important. But off the back of that, the kid slash teenager actually coming with the parent to the food shop is probably the best thing for them. Because I personally found, so when I was younger and I had honestly quite an immediate switch, my interest in nutrition came literally in one day where I was at this netball camp, basically um, got this essentially award for, for doing well at this netball camp. I was like 10 or 11 and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. You know, I love netball. Wow, I'm going to go all in. How can I get better? Oh, I can focus on my nutrition. So it was very immediate. Um, but then obviously I had to go home and be like to my mom and dad, oh, I don't want to have a cupcake at my, you know, morning tea tomorrow. I would like an apple and whatever else I thought was healthy at that time. Um, and it was hard, but it was A, it was just the conversation. And then B, I said, and I want to start coming food shopping because I want to start picking some things, you know? Um, so I think that's kind of where it has to start. And I actually really do believe in, you know, the more we talk about things, if parents where possible and guardians can get their kids involved in the cooking and the kitchen process and also the shopping at an earlier age, that's what's probably the biggest unlock. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. And if our listeners want to find out more about you and your work, where can they find you? Yeah. So you can find me on my Instagram by underscore Lani. So that's B-Y underscore L-A-N-I. That's my nutrition Instagram. I'm always trying to post little tips and tricks on there um, and always open to talking. So if you know you ever want to send me a message via DM there, please do. I love interacting with my followers there. Um, and then my website is by-lani.com. That's where you can go for my bookings, um, for my consultations or anywhere if you ever wanted me to come and guest speak or anything like that. Um, that's where you can find me. Great. Thank you. And we'll put all of those in our show notes so you can find them nice and easy. Thank you so much for talking with me today. It was really great to talk to you. Um, And Merry Christmas to everyone who celebrates. Happy New Year to everyone else. Um, And have a happy holidays. Um, Eat as much good food as you want. Um, Keeping these things in mind. Yes, totally. I hope, you know, if if you can even just take one thing away from today, Um, I think that will be really helpful going forward. So yeah, enjoy the festive season all and thank you so much for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to On The House, produced by the Household Management Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes like this from across 10 life management perspectives 
can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smart devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it so we can grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at hm.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Gabriella Yastra. Thanks for tuning in.